Good morning. Good. My name's Dave. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm buddies with Donnie. I've been here before, so some of you don't look familiar. Others do. It's good to be here. Let me just tell you, I, uh, this, this is a straight aside. This has, I guess it has something to do with the message, I guess. Um, this, you guys gave me an amazing gift today. Um, I'm, I'm standing back here, and um, they start kind of playing the nothing but the blood of Jesus, the song that you just sang. And I start to hear this sound that I don't recognize. It's so unfamiliar to me. And I'm sitting there, and you guys are unwrapping the communion. And I'm back there going, is it raining? Because everybody doing it, it just sounds like rain coming. I was like, I was just outside, because there's, I don't know if you know this, there's a secret passageway you have to go outside and to go to the bathroom. I've done that several times. It wasn't raining. And... Um, <laughs> I was like, but wait, it sounds like the rain is coming from in here. I was so confused. And then she starts singing, so I'm imagining this rain coming down in here, and she starts singing the song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I imagined the rain of grace coming down in this room. As you're taking communion. And I thought, man, God, thank you for that moment. Because that has been my prayer all week for this moment. Is that the rain of grace would come down in this room. Because listen, I know you, everybody's fighting their own battle. And many of you have come in and you are worn and you are tired and you're here and you don't need somebody to beat you up. You need the grace of God offered on you and rain down on you. And so I'm telling you today, that's coming. That's coming. We're um, continuing our series called Summer Playlist. And today, they have given me this psalm, Psalm 51. So if you ever have been in the Bible, if you kind of split it in the middle, if you're using a paper version, you'll find Psalm in that spot right there. And Psalm 51 is where we will ultimately land today. But until then... You got to know that you can't talk about Psalm 51 without talking about the guy who wrote it and why he wrote it. And uh, I don't know if you, you know a guy named David in the Bible? Some of, some of you may know. Some of you grew up hearing the Bible stories. Um, David was like a rock star. Here's a story you know about David. Um, David, like, was so connected with God. Do you remember the story? He's like, he was the guy kind of chosen to take some bologna sandwiches to his brothers who were in battle. So he walks in, he's carrying the sandwiches and realizes there's this huge giant named Goliath and they're taunting the Israelites and he can't figure out why no one would fight him. So he takes the job and he goes out to fight him with just some stones and a slingshot, slays Goliath. And when people asked him about that, they're like, my God is with me. How could I miss this dude? Right? Can you imagine the connectedness that David had with God? Oh, and not only was he connected with God, which is really cool. Uh, here's the other thing. He had joy. Oh, he had joy. Man, there's this story in scripture where um, they have brought back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. You know, Indiana Jones style. You know the Ark. Not the Noah one, the other one. And um, they bring it. Can you imagine carrying back the Noah's Ark? That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Um, so they bring back the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And David 
man, he is pumped about this because this is a representation that God is back in the city. He gets so excited and so joyful that he strips off his clothes and he starts dancing in the street, you know, like you do when you're happy. (laughs) And David's wife looks at him and she is so upset because the king is dancing naked in front of all the people. And he looks looks at his wife and says, how dare you? Of course, I'm gonna act. I'll act even more undignified than this in his sight. The joy that David had. He was connected with God. He was joyful. His integrity was in place. Man, there was this space where David was really where we all want to be, connected with God, feeling the joy of God, integrity, doing what we're called to do. Like he was in that spot. But like a lot of us, there's this slow, gradual slide away from there. Some of you know what this spot looks like, this there spot, where you're connected with God. We have great communication, where you feel that, some of you have the camp experience, you know? You were at camp, there was a campfire, somebody was just trying to strum out a guitar, but the fire and the mosquitoes, and for whatever reason, God spoke to you in that moment and you came forward and you were crying and you connected to God. It was like salvation moment. And you walked away and you were connected and joyful and you were doing what God called you to do. And it was amazing. You know that there are moments, I don't know when it happened for you. Like when you were right where God wanted you to be, you were there. Some of you actually have come today and you have never experienced the there moment. Man, let me tell you, I've been there, there, here, there. And the there moment is an amazing place. For those of you who have been there, there are times when you do this gradual slide. And at some point you look up, maybe, maybe God throws a brick at your head and you're like, why are you doing that? And you're like, oh, of course, right? Um, I, I don't know what it is, but sometimes you look up and you realize that you're here and you're not there. And you really need to be there. And somehow you slid and took this gradual slide from there to here and now you're here. So here's the question of the day. We need to talk about how we get back there, right? Because if you're not there, you need to be there because that's where God wants you. He wants you there. Now, David was there until the gradual slide began, which is where we're going to begin today. If you have Bibles, uh, I think there may be people passing them out. There's paper versions. So if you need a paper version, throw your hand up in the air. Otherwise, you can pop open your iPhone, um, grab your laptop, plug in a desktop computer, there's outlets, whatever, if you brought it with you, (laughs) whatever that is in that big bag that you're carrying around. Um, (laughs) um, And you can follow along. We're in 2 Samuel, and we're going to be starting in chapter 11. And I'm just going to walk you through it. I'm not going to read any of it to you, but I'm telling you it's there. We're eventually going to read portions of Psalm 51. So 2 Samuel chapter 11 starts out with this phrase. It was spring... And the kings went off to war. Now, that was typical. When the spring happened, the king got off his throne and he went to war. That's what he was supposed to do, right? That's just the normal thing for the kings to do. Except the scripture tells us that David, the king, decided not to go. And so he assembled all the troops and his commanders and sent them on and he stayed home. Now, this is a really important question. Do you know why David decided to stay home and not go to war. Here's why. Because he can. Because he wanted to. 
and he can't. He's the king after all. Who's gonna tell the king he can't do that? So he sent everybody off to war and he's just doing his own thing, just kind of bored. Uh, one evening, scripture says, David decides to take a stroll on the roof. Now, I had, um, several years ago, I actually did a trip to Jerusalem. Not Jerusalem, Kentucky, like the one overseas. And I took this tour, and while we were in Jerusalem, the lady who was giving the tour said, typically the king's house was on the top of the hill. So if he stood on the roof, he could look down and see everything that was happening in the city. Now, one of the things that always happened in the city every night was in the evening, all of the women would come out and they would go to the well or to the lake and they would bathe, with, they would bathe right? Then they would do it together. Um, and David knew this. And so here is David, interestingly enough, decides to go up on the roof in the evening. He knows what's happening right now. And why does David go on the roof in the evening to kind of be a voyeur to everything that's happening? Because he can. I mean, who's going to stop him? He wanted to. He wanted to see the sights. And he can. And so there he is. He's on the roof. He's kind of staring at, you know, there's a beautiful woman there. She's taking a bath. And he's, he's attracted, and so he calls a messenger, and he asks the messenger to say, go ask about that woman. Do you, let me just think about it. Do you, know why, or, or, do you know why David sent a messenger? Because, nailed it, because he can. He's a sharp crowd. I love it. Because he can. So he sent the messenger to find out about this woman. David's married. He comes back. David, seriously, dude, I, I want to tell you, her name is Bathsheba. She's married to a guy named uh, 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 Uriah. Do you get that? She's married, David. I saw a huge ring on her finger. She's married, okay? So David sends that messenger away and stares a little bit longer and then grabs another messenger and says, go get her. Do you know why David decided to send for Bathsheba? This woman? Because he can. <laughs> yeah. So she comes back. Maybe the idea was, you know, let's have dinner together. But listen, after dinner, David wanted dessert, if you know what I'm talking about. And when I'm talking about dessert, I'm talking about sexual sin. And so David decided to sleep with Bathsheba while all the men were away, right? All the men are, it's like a buffet for David. And do you know why he decided to sleep with Bathsheba? Because... He can. So Bathsheba, the scripture says, leaves. And at no point in any part of the scripture does it say that Bathsheba was a willing participant in this. Because here's what I know. When the king sends for you, you come. If the king says, sit down and eat dinner with me, you sit down and whatever the king says to do, you do. Nowhere in all of scripture does it say that Bathsheba liked what was happening or, or even pushed back against David. So Bathsheba then goes home and later discovers that she's pregnant. So she sends word to David and says, hey, David, uh, I'm, I'm pregnant and it's not my husband's because he's off at war. The baby is yours. This is a tough moment for David. I mean, he's stuck because if at this point he comes clean, which probably all of heaven and earth is crying for him to do, the Holy Spirit is probably in David's life saying, dude, right now, just stop, 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 stop. Just repent, 
make it right, do what you're supposed to do. And David completely says, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do what I want because I can. So David decides on a big cover-up. He starts thinking, you know what? I, here's what I'll do. If I can get Uriah her husband, Bathsheba's husband, to come back to town. I can send for him to come back to town. I can, I can kind of create the moment where he'll sleep with her and then all will be, he'll think it's his and everything will be fine. So David then sends for Uriah to come back from the battlefield. And do you know why David decides to send for Uriah to come back from the battlefield? Because he can. He just can. So Uriah comes back, and I can't, this, this meeting to me seems really like it would be awkward because Uriah isn't necessarily one of the top-level commanders. He's just a guy in the army, and he's sent for the king, and he comes into the king's room, and I can just imagine the King David going, oh, Uriah, how you doing, buddy? Have a seat. How you doing? Uriah's probably like, I'm good. How's the war going? It's good. Cool, good meeting. Hey, I'll tell you what, Uriah, here's what we need you to do. Um, you're back, just wanted to have that quick meeting with you. Glad that worked out. Um, you know what, why don't you go home and just relax, wash your feet, which was code for, you know, sleep with your wife. And um, you guys, husbands, you can use that sometime. <laughs> what do you wanna do tonight? How about we wash some feet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> If there are kids in the room, you'll have some interesting lunch today. I'll just tell you. Um, and so, uh, so, so the code, and so Uriah leaves Dave's presence, and you know what he does? He doesn't go home. He sleeps at the palace gate. The next morning, David wakes up and realizes that Uriah never went home. So he goes to Uriah and says, dude, what, what happened? I told you to go home, relax, spend time with your wife. Uriah looks at David and says, how, how can I do that? When the Ark of the Covenant, uh, my commanders and fellow soldiers are sleeping on the ground in a war environment, I would dare not go home and sleep with and eat and drink with my wife. I'm not gonna do it. Here's what David wasn't counting on was Uriah's integrity. So David had to, you know, fall back and punt at this point. So he said, here's what we'll do, Uriah. Um, I'll send you back in a couple days, but tomorrow I want you to just come over. We'll have a meal. So Uriah comes over, they have a meal. And the scripture says that David gets Uriah drunk. I don't know what the plan was. Maybe it was he'd be so drunk he'd go sleep with his wife. Maybe as he gets so drunk he'd pass out and not remember what he did. I'm not sure what the plan was. But... Here's what I know. If David says, take another drink, if the king tells you to take another drink, you take another drink. If he tells you to take another drink, you take another drink. Because if you don't, you die. And so why did David get Uriah drunk? To try to cover up his big mistake. Because he can. Because he can. So Uriah, he's drunk, but he still does the right thing, even when he's drunk. And he goes and sleeps in the quarters with the king's men. All the men knew this. When David discovered this, he was like, man, I don't know what to do now. My plan is foiled. And then he had this bright idea. He's like, oh, you know what? If I think about it, I'm the commander of the army. And war is a dangerous, dangerous thing. I mean, people get killed in war, right? And so if Uriah were to just happen to be killed somehow in this war, 
he's already been home, so everybody's kind of kind of thinking that the baby's his. So here's what I'll do. So David writes a note to the commander. Here's what I want you to do, Joab, which was the commander's name. Put Uriah in the fiercest part of battle in the front lines. And when it's the battle is at its fiercest, everybody step back and let Uriah get killed. He folded up, stuck in an envelope, put a wax seal on it and handed it to Uriah and said, deliver this to the commander. And Uriah delivered his own death certificate. Do you know, do you know why? Seriously, do you know why? David decided to end someone's life. Because he can. Word comes back that Uriah's been killed in battle. David's like, shocked. Word reaches Bathsheba, and she goes into all-out mourning. After her season of mourning is over, David says, you know what? Come to my palace. I'm gonna marry you. He's gonna be, I'll raise him as my own, even though he is my own. And you, you know why David decided to marry Bathsheba and bring her to the palace right after this happened? Because he can. So there they are, they're in the palace, Bathsheba, the kid running around, David, and everything seems to have worked out. The cover-up worked. And then the prophet Nathan comes in. Oh, Nathan. Y'all have one of these people in your life, I'm telling you. It, it's the person in your life who's your Yoda, you know? They come in and they just say something wise and they leave and you're like, boom, what just happened? You know what I'm talking about, right? You have that person in your head. You, got, you have your own Yoda. David's Yoda mentor was this guy named Nathan. And he, I think he probably spoke like Yoda too because he talked like riddles, which is much like God. So that's probably what it was going on there. And so Nathan comes in and he just sits down with David and says, hey, David, I've got a story to tell you, which is what Yoda would totally do, right? So he starts the story. Nathan says, David, here's the story. I need your advice on it, David. Um, in the city, there are two people, two men. One is really, really rich, like super rich, has billions of sheep, lots of cattle, huge house, service, whatever he wants, he's got it, that kind of rich. There's the, the other guy who's got nothing. I mean, he's rubbing pennies together just to make it work. He saved for a couple months and bought just this little decrepit little lamb. And you know what? They loved that lamb. They weren't going to eat it. They made it its pet. So they'd all gather around the table together and put out a little bowl and the little lamb would go and eat with the family. And then they'd all curl up in bed and the lamb would hop in and sleep with it. Like it was, the, it was a family member, really, the lamb. Well, um, someone, a foreigner came in to visit the rich guy and he had all this stuff, but he didn't want to kill any of his own sheep. So he walked over to the poor man, grabbed the one little sheep maybe out of his bed and killed it and fed it to the foreigner. David, I just, I just need to know, what, what, what needs to happen here? Scripture says David rose up and he was furious. He's like, how dare he do that? Just because he can. How dare someone with all of those resources and everything he wants go take the little thing that belongs to someone else just because he can. A man should never get away with doing just what he, what he can, just because he can do it. That man should pay with his life, if not four times what he has taken. 
And I can see Nathan pausing and then looking up to David and just saying, David, that man is you. And Nathan just continued. He said, and listen, there's going to be fighting in your family because of all the stuff you've done for, for really a long time. And the baby you had with Bathsheba, he's going to die because of what you did. And I was studying that this week and on my laptop. This week was a crazy week. I, I don't know that it really, it really just kind of told us what was already under the service, really, I think. And I was scrolling through news feeds and I saw cops just shooting people who didn't deserve it. And I thought, how dare you do that just because you can? And I hear of snipers shooting cops. And I ask, well, why did he, why? Because he can. And then I looked up and looked at my kids. They were in the next room. I have this like glass French door thing so I can see through. They're, they're working on the computer. And I see one of my kids, I don't know why, but for all out, just hauls off and just hits the other one. And then he does this. He just looks around like, did anybody see what just happened? And I thought, well, why did he do that? And then I would realize because he wanted to, and he can. And then I thought about my life. There, there are a lot of times in my life where, man, I pull the parent card. Like I'm frustrated, I'm angry, and I don't, the kids aren't doing what they're supposed to. So I'm yelling, and they're making their points, and honestly, they're probably really good. I'm raising like four attorneys in my life. And um, they're making great points, and, and I just pull the parent card, and I say, don't you say another word. I'm your dad. And you know why I say that? Because I can. What are they going to do, right? I can. And do you realize that the slow, gradual slip from there is filled with steps of I wanted to and I can. There's some of you in this room who really know how to clear out your internet history. You're good. No one will ever catch you. And so you can look at whatever you want to look at on the internet. Why? Because you can. Some of you do out-of-town trips and you'll visit the clubs and you're married and you've got kids and no one knows you're anonymous. And why do you do it? Why do you do it? Because you can there's one lady at our church, she had a lot of money. She came up and talked to me and she said, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on, but every time I go to the, the store, I feel like I have to steal something. I just put it in my bag. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Why do you do that? You have money. And she said, because I can. If you're wondering how you got here and why you're no longer there, it may have something to do with 
the choices you make and why you do them because maybe you do them because you can. And here's the scariest part of all. If you wanna walk away from God, God is not gonna strike you with a lightning bolt. His love is free and he wants you to love him free. And so if you wanna walk away, you walk away. And if you wanna come back, you come back. But it's possible we've all been in the spot where we've said, you know, I want it and I can, so I will. So David finds out his baby is gonna die and he goes into all out mourning. Like it hits him. It's the moment when his head comes up and he realizes he's not there anymore. He's far, far from God and he's made a lot of choices that have kept him from God. And so David starts mourning. The scripture says he lays on the floor. He doesn't eat. Parents are coming in going, dude, eat it. What's going on? And it's in this space that David pins Psalm 51. When he realizes he's here and not there, when he realizes that he's made a lot of choices in his life that have really wrecked it. So let me show you the first thing that David does. First thing he writes, the first thing he says when he's in this moment, which is great for you and me when we're in a moment. Here's what he says. He says, God, have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Let me just say, I love what David does here. And I know if you're in that spot where you're here, but you want to be there, let me just tell you, this is the first step. If you are struggling with any addiction at all, this is the first step. If you're an alcoholic, this is the first step. You know what it is? It's to show up and say, I did this. Can you go back a slide? I want you to notice this. David is not passing blame here. He's not blaming anybody. He's saying, I did this and you have mercy on me, God, and against you and you only have I sinned. Um, I, I've been uh, a lead pastor of a church for about 12 years and really over the past two or three years, I've really begun to learn something about myself. Here's what I learned. I learned that probably about seven or eight years ago, I started working really, really hard and neglected my family. Like I felt the pressure of ministry and so I just dug in. And you know why I dug in? Because I can. And when you're a pastor, anybody who says you shouldn't work hard, I can look at it and say, you talk to God about that because I got to save people, you know what I'm saying? Who's going to say something? The church isn't gonna say, Dave, you're working too hard. And I, um, after just lots of counseling, I remember my wife looking at me and saying, you weren't there for me. And this is where I started. I said, I did that because I wanted to and I can. So God have mercy on me. I apologize, I ask for my wife's forgiveness. I don't know what it is for you. Let's go to the next slide. Look at this next one. This is, this is where it also starts to hit you. Um, David then says, 
my sin is ever before me. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. You, you know that feeling, don't you? It's like the things that you have done, the sin in your life, it's like it's on loop in the back of your mind in high death, right? The things that you did in college, the, times when you were li- the time when you were lying on the doctor's table or in a bed or you were taking stuff that didn't belong to you or you were forging something or you were stealing something else. High death in your mind. You know why that's high death? Because Revelation 10 tells us that Satan is his accuser and he just hits the loop button and he wants you to remember what you are and what you've done. It's like your sin is always in front of you. David knew that, but look what he says next. He says this, Psalm 51, seven, he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Hyssop was like a, a cleansing agent. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I love this. When I was growing up, I learned this song. What can wash away my sin? What can erase those memories in your mind? What can blot them out? You think you can go to enough counseling and they just blot out? You think you can do enough good stuff and all of society would forget and you would forget and it would be no more? Just work a little bit harder, give a little bit more, try to fix it, stage it, make it better, cover it up. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus raining down over us. He continues, um, hide my face from your sins and blot out my iniquity. God created me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And look at this right here, right here, right here. Look at this, this next slide. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Look at this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a a willing spirit to sustain me. Do you know what he's saying here? David is looking down and saying, I'm here, but I wanna be there. God, don't keep me from being there anymore because of what I've done. You know what I want, God? I'm just gonna ask you, I'm gonna be bold. I want you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. I wanna be back there where I was connected with you, where I was joyful, where I was doing the right thing. That's where I wanna be. Grant me this willing spirit to sustain me. Help me get there, God. That's where I want to be. And I wonder for you, listen, if you are here and you want to be there, do you hear what's gotta happen? You've got to say, I did this, God have mercy on me. You've got to confess it. You've got to repent. And Satan is going to keep reminding it to you that you are not worth it, that you are a failure, that God can't forgive. He's forgiven everybody else, but you and what you've done, not you. Let me just tell you, Satan is a liar and he's going to keep saying that. And you just say, you just say to God, you bring me back there. That's where I want to be. I want the joy back. I want the peace back. I want the relationship back. I want our communication integrity back. That's what I want back, God. You bring me back there. And then look at this. Next slide. Go to verse 16. This is God. He says this. He's saying this to God. God, you don't want a sacrifice or I'd give it. And you're not pleased with the burnt offering. You know how how that works out here? God, you don't want me to beat myself up 
That's not going to fix this. You don't want me to look in the mirror and hate myself for what I've done. You don't want that. You don't want my sacrifice. I, I could beat myself up if that's you. I'd be, whatever, I'll do that, but that's not what you want. You don't want a, a burnt offering. You don't want me to kill stuff in my path or kill myself in the process of trying to make it right. Instead, you know what God wants from you? A merciful God that wants to rain down grace upon you. It's on the next slide, verse 17. It says this, this is what God wants. My sacrifice, God, is this, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart to you, God, will not be despised. You know what God wants from you? You know how to get from here to there? It's, it's so simple, it's not even crazy. You, you go to God and you say, God, I made some choices. You know why I did it? Because I can. I just wanted to walk away and I walked away. That's what I did. And God, I need you to forgive me. And it's important to say what you did. Not for God, because he already knows, but for you, you need to speak it. And then you turn around and you know what you do when you're here and you want to be there? I mean, it happens in any context. You start walking. One step at a time. And before you know it, you won't be here anymore. You'll be there which is here. Let's have a moment together, can we? Let's just have a moment. There are some messages that I preach where it hits you here and you have this list of behaviors that you can fix and do as you leave. And this message absolutely has some of that. There are other messages that the Holy Spirit brings where the arrow is aimed straight at your heart. And I, I, I just wonder if I've been talking and the Holy Spirit, which is part of God, speaks to you and said, it sounds like you, doesn't it? Maybe there's some things getting in the way of your relationship with God. And as I talk, and you know what they are. And it's possible no one else does. It's time to repent. It's time to turn back to God. I don't know if you've had anybody say that to you, to you lately, but I'm just going to say it. Right now, it's time to turn back to God. It's time to repent. I don't know which way you've been walking. If you're here, not there, it's time to be there. It's time to be there. It's time to repent. It's time to turn back to God. His arms are just so wide open and ready for you. He's been chasing you down for a while. That's why you're here today. Why I'm talking about this is no accident. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray. And then I'm gonna say amen, but here's what I'm gonna want. I've asked the band to come up here and play. I know that's not normal, but I've asked the band to come up and play and just... Give us a moment where Dave stops talking up here and you start doing the talking, but you're doing it with God. Because there may be some stuff that you and God need to meet on.
And the great thing for you is I did, you didn't have to schedule it. I scheduled it for you. It's in the calendar over the next 90 seconds or two minutes. So this is your time. Um, the great news, some of you may have never been there and you need to go there. And so to do that, maybe you need to schedule time to be baptized, right? You need to take that next step. Um, July 31st, they're having a baptism service. We're having a baptism service here. And so you can be a part of that. Just write baptism on your card. And I mean, there's enough runway for you to figure this out. Let me pray for us. God, David's story just seems so dramatic. I mean, adultery and killing people and babies and cover-up and kings and armies. But God, I'll be honest, it's my story. The story of walking away because I can. There are times when we wander and we're not there anymore and we want to be there. So God, right now in this, this moment, let the grace fall on us like rain. Let the blood of Jesus cover our sins and blot out all our transgressions and wash us whiter than snow. In Jesus' precious and saving name I pray.